the sermon passage in our scripture reading for this morning is from Acts 16, 13 to 34. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. <coughs> and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw in them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, he cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Risen. Um, if you're new to our church, uh, welcome. I'm Pastor Rich, and man, it is hot, <laughs> like melting over there. Um, we tried to change the direction so that, you know, the newcomer or people who come late can kind of fill in in the back, but we might rotate that way at least so we're not facing directly into the sun. Um, I think we're out of extra umbrellas, but um, there is bottled water at the front entrance, so if you need a drink, um, please go get some water and uh, you know pretty much you're fulfilling your your vitamin D for 2019 you know uh, right? so think of it as that way um, but you know we're, we're on the tail end of wrapping up our sermon series um, for our 2021 vision uh, which is cultivate and today we're taking a look at cultivating hospitality 
And the book of Acts is filled with stories of tremendous hospitality. And today's passage is no different. We're going to take a look at three things today in our passage. We'll see first, limitless hospitality. Second, then we'll see the power of hospitality. And then lastly, we will see the witness of hospitality. So first, let's take a look at limitless hospitality. You know, if you look up hospitality in the dictionary, it's defined as the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm and friendly and generous way, right? Treating guests and strangers in a warm and friendly and generous way. And what's interesting, there are two things this definition is getting at. First, it says nothing about a home. Hospitality is not restricted to a home. For example, what makes a workplace hospitable is not the building, it's not the amenities, it's the people. A group of friends, wherever they are, they can be welcoming and hospitable and warm to newcomers. And a church community can have a hospitable spirit towards their neighborhood, towards their city, uh, with those who hold differing opinions and values. So that's the first thing we see, that hospitality is not just uh, restricted to being at home. Hospitality is the disposition that you carry wherever you go with guests and strangers in a warm and friendly and generous way. The second thing this definition gets at is hospitality is not defined by how you treat your friends. Hospitality is how you treat people you do not know. Hospitality is how you treat people who are different from you, how you treat people who you might not even agree with. That's what hospitality is. And in today's text, we see this twofold, unrestrained, limitless hospitality um, in Paul, in Silas, um, and the other people in this text. If you take a look at verse 13 uh, in your sheet, it tells us that there uh, is this group of women who gather every week, every Sabbath, like today, not in a home, but in public, next to a riverside. Whether it's because this group was too large to be at someone's home, or uh, hosting a weekly prayer group might be too much for one individual, they do not let it stop them from being hospitable with one another. You know, they're not shy about meeting in a public space. And you could imagine, there's probably children running around. Some are probably playing in the water. Several ladies probably brought some snacks uh, for the group and others, several mats or something for people to sit on. This was probably a sacred time, not only for prayer and learning, but for fellowship. Relationship building welcoming friends and neighbors and co-workers and strangers to this spiritual community. Uh, the text says itself that uh, we went to the riverside where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they heard of this group that is gathering next to a riverside and say, so we want to go and worship with them. We want to meet them. Paul and Silas are new to the city of Philippi and they're looking for a place of worship. It's beautiful. You see, the early church, they didn't have all the trappings of church buildings. Uh, the people were the church, as it always should be. So hospitality was experienced through the people, wherever they were, in the church community, however they could. 
So that's the first thing we see here, that hospitality is not restricted to a place. But hospitality was not just limitless in the how, but also in the who. The second person in our text that we're introduced to is this slave girl uh, that caught Paul on a bad day. (laughs) Paul was not feeling very hospitable today or this day. Uh, Verse 18 tells us that she kept bothering Paul for many days and he was just ignoring her. Uh, but, and that he's greatly annoyed. That's what the text says. The great apostle Paul is annoyed. <clears throat> but he finally relents, and he helps her. He commands the evil spirit to leave her, she sets, and she's set free from her spiritual oppression. But this act of Paul costs him gravely. Right, the owners of this slave girl become extremely angry because they can no longer charge people money for her prophetic services. She was free, but they didn't care. So they drag Paul and Silas to the city magistrate, which is the highest Roman official in the city, who gives the order to beat Paul and Silas with rods and to have them thrown in prison. I want to read this quote from Rosario Butterfield. Uh, that will help us understand the tension and power of Christian hospitality. She says, Real Christian hospitality does not happen in la-la land. It's gritty and messy. Therefore, Christian hospitality never lets the idea of hospitality get in the way of working through and living out real hospitality. Christian hospitality is the greatest kind of hospitality because it propels us to deal with diversity and difference of opinion, with difficult people, with each other's sin and baggage and hard hearts. Christian hospitality knows no boundaries and limits where God's grace, his forgiveness, his love, his spirit, And power cannot break through. When I read this quote, I I just fell in love with it instantly. Because I think on one hand, we all love the idea of hospitality. We love the idea of hosting, um, feeling safe around people. Uh, We trust eating good meals, laughing and developing and deepening these uh, bonds that bring so much joy and, and meaning in life, don't we? We love that. But at the same time, we know that Christian hospitality is different. It's not centered around us. Like Paul, Christian hospitality doesn't limit itself to safe people who think and live and act similarly to us. It happens in homes, outside, while we're with our kids, near the riverside. And like Paul and Silas, inconvenienced, unplanned, and even in prison. Verse 25 tells us about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying in prison and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas because their circumstances could not dampen the spirit of hospitality that they had in their hearts. They're they're singing songs and they're praying and they're bringing warmth and joy to those around them. 
And it's so amazing, friends. This is the limitlessness of Christian hospitality. But how is this possible? Where do Paul and Silas get the strength for this kind of hospitality? This brings us to the second point, the power of hospitality. In verse 24, when Paul sat down and was sharing with the woman at the riverside, it says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. Now Thyatira was a city in Turkey, and Turkey was the melting pot of melting pots. I mean, it still is, right? Because it's right in the middle with Europe on the east, Asia to the west, and the Middle East to the south. You look at Istanbul, there's all sorts of people, all sorts of culture, all sorts of food and religion. There's this Asian influence that came from China. There's this uh, Middle Eastern influence that came from the Assyrians, Persian influence from the Persians, Greek influence from Alexander the Great, and in Lydia's time, the Roman influence from the Roman Empire. So the first thing we learn about Lydia is that she was culturally diverse. Second, during the Roman era, Thyatira was famous for its dyeing facilities, and it was the center of purple cloth. In ancient times, purple dye was rare and extremely expensive, so it was also the color of royalty. If you ever watch those movies, uh, those ancient Greek or Roman movies, you'll notice um, that not everyone has a purple toga, a purple sash, or a purple cloak. Theopompus, an ancient Greek historian, records that purple dye fetched its weight in silver above the copper and bronze cost for other dyes. He also writes that not all Roman officials were allowed to wear a purple toga. It was limited to the chief officials, and only the emperor wore a full purple toga with a gold sash. Now, why is that important? Well, friends, Luke is describing this formation of a church plant in Philippi that began with this group of women and Lydia and this slave girl and the Philippian jailer we'll take a look at in the end. And the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to this church plant in Philippi while he, while, while he is planting another church in Rome. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says those from Caesar's household send their greetings. And Bible scholars believe that Paul is referring to Lydia who was on business in Rome working with Caesar's imperial household and the imperial network. Paul is relaying her greetings back to the church plant in Philippi. So what this tells us then is that Lydia is a culturally diverse Turkish woman who has made it to the very, very top of the Roman Empire. She's extremely cultured. She's open-minded. She's savvy. She's sophisticated. She's well-to-do and privileged. She's successful. She's in with the elite and upper class. And for her to do the thing she's doing as a foreign woman in the first century, she's ahead of her time. And so friends, maybe, maybe you're here and you're not really sure how Christianity is relevant to you Maybe you think it's outdated. Maybe you think it's too traditional. It's non-scientific. 
what does Christianity have to say to a diverse and liberal and fast-paced and sophisticated area like the Bay Area? Or if you are a Christian, maybe you're not sure how to share this part of your life with your family and your friends and your coworker. But look, Turkey was the melting pot of melting pots. It was diverse, it was liberal, it was fast-paced, it was sophisticated, but people were getting together to hear what Paul had to say. Think about it. Lydia eats the finest of foods. She lives in the lavish of places. She has servants and maids, but at least once a week, she leaves the comfort and extravagance of her home to go to a public riverside, and I can't imagine that it was very clean, and she goes there to meet with women completely different from her to pray, to build life together, to eat lunch, to read scripture, and to sing songs. Why would Lydia do this? Well, I think for those of us who are striving for success, we believe that we will finally be happy if we get what we want. Success can take many shapes and forms. It could be career. It could also be physical appearance. It could be marriage. It could be a particular kind of family. It could be your social popularity, your social acceptance, your social reputation. But here's Lydia. She's accomplished her dreams. She's got a house. Actually, at least three, one in Thyatira, one in Philippi, and one in Rome. Everyone wants to be her. Everyone wants to be friends with her. But it's not enough for her. She's discontent. She's unfulfilled. Verse 14 in our passage describes Lydia as a worshiper of God, which is a phrase to describe non-Jewish people who pursued the God of the Bible. Friends, this means only one thing. There's a deep emptiness in living for yourself. It's just not how we were made to live. And Lydia got this. Lydia is trying to leave the emptiness of living for herself and trying to strive to find the praise in the world's eyes. And she's meeting up with this group of women to find some answers. Verse 13 says, We sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. Luke doesn't record what Paul said to Lydia. He assumes we're able to figure it out from other passages in Acts. And we know from other places in Acts that Paul says, God has created us to live for something more than ourselves. God has created us with tremendous gifts and passions and ambition and abilities and heart to live for something far grander than ourselves. But the sin in us, the rebellion in us, the foolish in us fights against this, doesn't it? And this isn't just Lydia. It's all of us. There are a whole lot of us who go back and forth between uh, the emptiness of living for ourselves and the pursuit of trying to love God and to love those around us. 
we teeter-totter between living for ourselves and then trying our best to do what's right and honor God. But we find ourselves living in between self-indulgence and failure. So Paul comes along and he says to Lydia, Lydia, on the one hand, I know you're searching for something more meaningful and more joyful, more purposeful than living for yourself. On the other hand, I know you're searching for something more powerful, more hopeful, more greater than your own efforts to accomplish this because as driven as you are, as ambitious as you are, it's not enough. You cannot accomplish this kind of contentment. You're stuck. So maybe you're here and you just feel kind of stuck. You know what God wants you to do or you know what you should do, but it's hard. But friends, the gospel unsticks you because on the one hand, Jesus frees you from living for yourself. Jesus can come into our hearts and soften it and open our eyes and wake us up and reveal, us, reveal to us the emptiness of living for ourselves. On the other hand, Jesus knows that we cannot live for him perfectly, so he lifts the burden of guilt and breaks the enslaving power of sin in our hearts by dying on the cross for our failures, for our weaknesses, for our sins, past, present, and future. And friends, when you get this, that there is someone out there who will love you unconditionally, can you believe that? There is a God who will love you unconditionally. It don't matter what you're wearing. It don't matter what you're saying. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how you've uh, lived this past week. You don't earn your way to come to church to worship him with your whole heart. It's only because Jesus Christ has paid the price for everything that God, that you, can stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God, blameless and deserving of his unconditional love. And when you get this, it will fill your heart and it will, it will just outshine anything that you have accomplished with unmatched contentment, tremendous gratitude, and a changed life. Well, how does this happen? Well, verse 14 says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This uh, Greek word for pay attention is prosecco. That's uh, where we get that, the name of the wine. Um, pros means to face towards. Echo means to hold. So this word prosecco means to behold, to be attracted to. And Luke rarely gets poetic. He was a doctor. He's very scientific about uh, his gospels and what he writes. But Luke is getting poetic here. What Luke is saying is this fashion mogul, this elite woman, the one who's usually the center of attention, 
whom everyone is beholding and attracted to, she has now been smitten by God. God has captured her heart. She has been prosecoed. You know, when Jesus was being led to the cross, the Gospel of Mark says that they clothed him in a purple robe. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They were making fun of Jesus about his claim that he was king. But they didn't realize what they were actually doing. Jesus was the king. And at that moment in which he was the lowest, the humblest, the most despised, well, here's the irony. There is nothing more glorious, more kingly, than someone who would give up everything for you. You see, Lydia's business was all about glory. She sold royal uh, clothes to royal people. But she had never seen a royalty and glory like Jesus. Purple had never looked more beautiful, more royal, more glorious than on Jesus on his way to the cross. And Lydia got this and she said, this is the most beautifulest thing I've ever encountered. Verse 15 says, after she was baptized and her whole household, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so what we see here is that the gospel had not only affected Lydia personally, she didn't just say, oh, now I feel better so I can go to my work and I have the energy now to do what I got to do. No, she has been affected holistically, socially, relationally, transformationally. She was loved by Jesus, and now she found a greater meaning and greater purpose in loving others. She went from living for herself to living for God. She went from being served to serving others. This founder and CEO of an elite royal business now made time to get not just with powerful people, all kinds of people to meet with them next to a public riverside to have them over without restraint. Friends, this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of hospitality that Christ has come and given us everything. This brings us to the last point, the witness of hospitality. Now in verse 24, we're going to take a look at the jailer. It says that when Paul and Silas were arrested, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He then, uh, you know, this, this jailer put them in the inner cell, which was the darkest and the grungiest. It was never cleaned. And he locked their feet in stocks, which he didn't have to. It wasn't commanded or necessary. He was torturing them. He wanted them to die very quickly. This man was ruthless. But then there's an earthquake. And verse 27 tells us that the jailer awoke, which means he was sleeping on the job, obviously. Uh, And he saw that the prison doors were open. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why would he try to kill himself? Well, 
You see, if there was an earthquake, the prison guard was to guard the cell and kill anyone who tried to escape. This was the oath that he took as a prison guard. And if the magistrate asked him how did the prisoners escape, the only reason was because he was asleep. And the punishment for that is death. So the jailer wakes up, the doors are open, he, he believes that Paul and Silas has ran away because why would they stay after, after what has happened to them, after how he's treated them? But in verse 24, out of the darkness, Paul cries out, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. Don't hurt yourself. We're here still. So the jailer calls for lights and he rushes in and he is just overwhelmed with fear because he thought he was a dead man walking. He falls down before Paul and Silas and he cannot believe this kind of grace. He cannot believe this kind of hospitality, this kind of witness. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and they were all baptized at once. And he set before them food, and he rejoiced with his entire household that they had believed in the, in the Lord. What we see here is this jailer who had this deep sense of gratitude for Paul and Silas's amazing and selfless and inconceivable spirit of hospitality to not only just a stranger, to an enemy. It's amazing. Paul and Silas weren't willing to do what they wanted to do if it meant death for the jailer. They didn't have to, but because of the grace of Christ for Paul and Silas, it had created a grace and a concern for this jailer's life. Friends, this is the amazing witness of hospitality that doesn't need to take place in your home, that is not necessarily restrained to how we treat our friends or family, but to strangers, to our enemies. And it turned this harsh, ruthless man into a gracious, hospitable follower of Christ. Let me just end with this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus tells his followers, you are the salt of the earth. We all know this, right? You are the salt of the earth. What does that mean, though? Well, in his book, Salt, A World History, Mark Kurlansky writes that the word salary comes from the Latin word sal, which is salt, because the Roman legions were sometimes paid in salt, which was worth its weight in gold. In Britain, the suffix which in a name means it was a place that was a source of salt, like Greenwich or Norwich. The Natron Valley was a key region that supported the Egyptian Empire, and Natron means salt in Egyptian. This is because salt is an essential nutrient. Today, because of you know, globalization and transportation, um, salt is accessible and consumed easily, excessively. But in ancient times, salt was expensive and hard to come by and was a cherished supplement to one's diet. You needed it to live. Second, salt is the most basic and desired food seasoning, right? If you ever try to cook with salt, good luck. <laughs> More than sugar or spices. 
or any herb. Lastly, before the advent, of course, of electric-powered refrigeration, salt was one of the main methods of food preservation. Salt protected your food from rotting, from decaying, and toxicity. So in ancient times, humans have always tended to build communities around sources of salt where they, or where they can trade for it. All through history, salt has been pivotal to civilization. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying is, you're to be marked by salt-like hospitality. Be gracious with your hospitality. Limitless. Be powerful with your hospitality. Be countercultural with your hospitality. And be a strong witness with your hospitality. Protect those around you. Protect the oppressed. Protect the poor. Protect the suffering. Be a witness to a searching world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we um, come to your word and, and come, to, come to worship with you and to hear what you have to say, that this task of hospitality is not up to us. It is up to you. The power and the limitlessness and the witness of hospitality is a promise that you have made that you would fulfill through us into this world. And we are so thankful that you have saved us from the emptiness of living for ourselves and you have saved us from falling short and failing constantly and living for you and, and loving you and loving others. We do not come here because we are better than anyone else. We only come here because you have saved us. You have opened our eyes. You have woken us up from our slumber to a God who is more royal, more majestic, more glorious, more beautiful than anyone and anything that we can attain, that we can be. God, we are all Lydia's here. We are all the slave girl. We are all the jailer. And we struggle with living for ourselves and pursuing success, being bound and oppressed by darkness, and having hardened hearts, cynical hearts, that do not believe in grace, so, Father, would you send your spirit mightily upon us and, and dwell with us, not because we deserve it, but because you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to bring salvation and hope to the world and bring us into glory. Until then, you have kept us and left us here to be a witness of hospitality. the salt of the earth. Thank you so much that we can be privileged, that we don't have to be hospitable, that we get to be hospitable. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.